You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Transform the way you hunt with the all-new base cellular trail camera connected by the Moultrie Mobile app. Moultrie Mobile's industry-best app gives you complete control over your camera settings, up-to-the-minute updates from the field, and other interactive scouting tools on your smartphone or computer. Features like weather forecast, advanced species recognition, interactive maps, and a whole lot more. For more information and to make your purchase, visit www.moultriemobile.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And joining me on the show today is Brett Liebel. Now, this guy is a riot. I'm just going to tell you right now. He He's a guy that I got connected to through a previous guest on the show, and he is all about the outdoors. Not only did he grow up in my home state of Wisconsin, but he also has dove full into spearfishing. And if this episode that you're about to hear doesn't get you excited to go out and try new things, chase after new types of adventure, I don't think any episode that I put out will because I am so fired up after having talked with him and recording this to get out there and try to spearfish. Like, I I don't know. I don't know how else to describe it. I'm pumped. I can't wait. I want to do it. But let's jump into this one with Brett. Like, he was doing things that were just badass. That was one of the coolest moments of my life. I was really scared, but knowing that Dan had the gun, I did have the rifle, like, we would be okay. All right, guys, so I am constantly getting asked about the gear that I'm using, and the great news is that I've got it all listed out on Go Wild. Now, if you listen carefully, I'm going to tell you how you can get a $10 gift card to use toward picking up some new gear. Go Wild is a free social community where your photos aren't censored. They're actually encouraged. So much so that Go Wild will give you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting friends. Now, as you earn those points, you can unlock awesome rewards like gift cards and free swag, knives, huge discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex, and so much more. Also, check this out. If you create a free account, you can unlock $10 just for trying it out. So go visit DownloadGoWild.com to get started. All right, guys. Welcome to today's show. And joining me on the show today, I've got Brett Liebel. Brett, what's going on, man? Oh, just, you know, drinking coffee, getting ready to tell some stories, I guess. <laughs> man, you've already been telling stories and my face hurts from from laughing and smiling and just kind of getting excited to experience some of this stuff for myself. Um, for for listeners who aren't familiar with you, um, Joel Chrisman, he was on the show not that long ago and um, he kind of made the connection between me and you and, uh, he's like, dude, you got to get him on the show. He's going to have you in stitches. Like it's going to be a fun time. In fact, he's been sending me videos, which we'll get into here in a little bit. Um, 
but why don't you share with the listeners kind of <laughs> you've done a ton in the outdoors, but maybe briefly what, what your passions are right now. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, I started out in Wisconsin, typical flatland country boy wanted to hunt white-tailed deer and, and, you know, came up that way and was really pumped shooting deer to eat uh, in college. At, you know, a deer a week is what I tried to average to feed myself and my, my buddies. I got so, so pumped. I, I put a broadhead brand on my arm when I shot my first Pope and young buck, you know, I couldn't afford a tattoo. So you might as well burn yourself. Yeah. And, uh, you know, from there is that and the fishing we would do and, um, really started, um, fall in love with, uh, spear fishing because, you know, buddy of mine's dad owned a dive shop and we would just go raid the dive shop and, and, uh, grab some junky little three pronged spears and jump into Lake Michigan, and we would spear a basket full of perch um, every time and, and come out and have a great big fish fry, and we were heroes. And, and like I always say, if, if you like to hunt and you like to fish, you're going to love to spearfish. So that's where I'm at now. I'm uh, um, running the Instagram for National Freshwater Spearfishing Association. We're doing a freshwater spearfishing national tournament which is a qualifier for team usa so that'll be in lake powell page arizona april 27th through the 30th got a lot of top divers in the u.s coming out and i'm helping um i'm helping nfsa run that event and, and build up some hype for it on instagram and get the prizes settled so that's where i'm at now is spearfishing and i got a four-year-old you know, we, we just went out turkey hunting this weekend for Easter and he's all pumped about hunting, but he's really pumped about spearfishing. Man, spearfishing is that, <clears throat> I think that's the most foreign thing to me as far as like outdoor activities, because I've never been close to, to big water. I mean, I did grow up in Wisconsin, you know, we had Lake Michigan, but it was on the other side of the state from us and seeing people scuba diving. I was like, are you kidding me? You know? My, my sister was so scared of sharks that she tried to convince everybody else that if you get in the ocean, you're going to get eaten by a shark every time. And uh, it, it's just been, yeah, the ocean is a totally different world for me. Um, but man, freshwater spearfishing. I, I've done it. I don't know if it was illegal or not, but I remember in college, my buddy bought a Hawaiian sling spear and we brought it down to the dock and we were just sitting on the dock. Uh, like completely out of the water and we were trying to like gig fish from from right next to the boats and uh, my buddy Jordan first first thing he does he lets that thing go and it goes straight to the bottom didn't have it tied off didn't have it like didn't have the <laughs> sling around his wrist or anything and and my buddy Drew is so pissed he's like dude that was like 120 bucks man and like you just <laughs> launched it down on your first attempt so um, that's about all the experience I have with trying to spear fish, but it is something that I would love to do. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, to your sister's point, the biggest shark in the ocean is the one between your ears. Yeah. And, and that's, that's, you know, the biggest thing to overcome is, I mean, we all grew up watching Jaws and, and those kind of stuff. And like the theme song is permanently playing in your head when you're swimming <laughs> through this water, right? Especially murky cold water like we see in freshwater. Um, so no matter what, even if I'm in freshwater, you know, hashtag no sharks. I still think about sharks. I shouldn't, but it's dark, murky water. And I'm like, oh, God, sharks. Yeah. But um, that, that's, that's not the case. And, 
everybody gets their start somewhere. It seems like it's a, it's a Hawaiian slang or a three prong and there's nobody out there to, to show them the way. So they kind of got to muddle through it themselves. And, and you're exactly right. And in, in the process of learning, we may have screwed up and crossed the line a little bit just because we didn't know. So it's, it's, it's really a, an awesome open community, like reach out to anybody on Instagram, like anybody, one of my, one of my best friends in, in, National Freshwater Spearfishing is Jake Lords at at Big Jake Lords, and he's this big guy, really affable, nice guy, and uh, he shows up to the National Freshwater Spearfishing Tournament last year with this dude who's never dove freshwater before, and I was like, uh, "Hey, guy, who, who's this?" And uh, yeah, just some random guy that uh, that hit me up after I did a, a, a podcast on Noob Spiro. He he just followed me and and uh yeah I, I, i'm showing him how the national tournament works wow i mean this is like the biggest name in freshwater right like i'm i'm just out there trying to be a good ambassador for the sport and take new people and i'll take i'll take you or anybody um i, I don't care freshwater or saltwater it's it's all good it's all it's all fun it's it's important that you have the right training though because it can be dangerous it's important you have the right buddy to keep you on the right side of the law and uh, also take those awesome instagram pictures yeah so Man, I've been uh, on Instagram, you know, like you watch one video and you start getting more and more every time you watch the one that pops up. And it seems like every time I'm on, I'll have about five or six spearfishing videos and watching these guys. I mean, it's like you're spot and stock fishing sometimes or you're still fishing and you're next to a giant rock or to a sunken ship and you're just shooting fish with a gun 100%. underwater. And I'm like, dude, I could, I could 100% get behind that. Obviously the comfort with water would, would have to come. Like I had swimming pools all my life. I, I would lay on the bottom for as long as I can and do the whole breath holding thing. But you know, being in, in a wild environment in the water might be a little different, but I'm, I'm all in, even though I've never done it. No, to totally. And, and, and that enthusiasm will take you really far. The one thing, and I did the same thing growing up, um, laying on the pool, holding on to the ladder, your buddies are all challenging you. The one thing is you never want to do any breath hold activities alone um, unless you're laying down in your bed. And, and why is that? Well, you can have a blackout. You can literally hold your breath up until the point that your brain says, okay, I gotta, I gotta conserve oxygen here. I need to shut down the computer. And the problem is your computer shuts down while you're underwater. And then it does that, let's start back up while you're underwater. And now you take a big breath of water and you're dead. So if your buddy's there close and can watch you, yeah, absolutely. Like have fun, you know, try to hold your breath, whatever. But like your best training is done laying down in your bed. You know, if you're, even if you're walking around holding your breath, you, you can hold your breath till you pass out and hit your head on the table. It's, it's silly thing. It's, it's silly things, but that's the most dangerous part is not having a buddy. And so step one, get a buddy that you can con into doing this. And then uh, step two, yeah, start swimming and sh shooting fish and, and enjoying it. Just have fun. It's, that's what it's about. It's having fun. Yeah. The, oh man, I, I'm already thinking about like going on trips and doing this. Like I love, I just love seeing animals in their environment, especially when it's not a normal thing that you would see. It's totally different putting on goggles and being in the river and seeing fish swimming around than it is being in a boat fishing and you can see them on the bottom. Um, and so 
I, I guess I'm just pumped, like listening to listening to other people talk about it before the recording. You had mentioned Steve Ranella and his his adventure out to Hawaii and the episode that they did about it. You know, I feel like there's been so many things in the past probably year, year and a half that have pointed me closer and closer to spearfishing. And I've just I have yet to do it. So that's going to be on my list for hopefully this year. What is there like yeah. a specific time that's best to go? Or is it kind of an all-year activity? Yeah, it's 100% all-year activity. Like, like if you if you do check out Jake Lords, and I'm going to reference him a few more times probably. He goes he goes and cuts holes in the ice and jumps in, and <laughs> and spears trout in Utah and and whatever species are are open. You know, that's one thing you got to check is the regulations. So he does year-round. We have um, wetsuits that go all the way up to nine millimeters thick. I dive a seven millimeter all the way down to 40 degree water. So, you know, you gotta, it's kind of gear intense. That's why I was saying you get a buddy or you reach out to somebody. I got so much gear like, to lend and, the, and to get people into it. And I'm, I'm happy to do it. And there's tons of people just like me. And, and we all, you know, we, we all watch videos to pass the time on YouTube or Instagram, or, you know, even on the outdoors TV and, and, and the outdoor shows on TV are so heavily, um, pushing whitetail hunting because whitetail is the largest market segment, right? They, they know where the money's at. So they're going to chase it. Spearfishing yeah. is very small still. It's, it's, it's been around a long time, but it's, it's kind of largely untapped. And, and to that point, the, the world is made up of 80% water. You know, the whole world is, is mostly water. And, and we have not explored like, I would really explored like, I don't know, 10% or less of, of the oceans and the waters. So, even where you live now in Missouri, there's there's plenty of opportunities there. We had the the world freshwater spearfishing in Beaver Lake, Arkansas, um, oh, nice. last yeah last July, and and there's some great big stripers in there that are available. I think the biggest one uh, one of the competitors took was 26 pounds, Jeez. as as well as carp and freshwater drum. So we set two world records last trip and possibly three. Um, the number two men competitors named Matt Suter. He's out of Vegas. And he he just got into spearfishing maybe five, six years ago. And now he's number two in the freshwater world. Um shot a world record drum and potentially a world record gar that uh nobody realized at the time. And and we just kind of, you know, oh we didn't realize it was a record, but it was. And then a woman, uh Shelby Peterson, she's out of Utah. She showed up and shot the woman's uh world record and I I got to sign her application. She's an awesome competitor. Like, like puts a lot of the men, like beats a lot of the men at every tournament. And, and she's always a high, high ranking woman and um, does a great job. What, as far as, as far as equipment goes, like, cause I'm, I'm thinking about this already. Like I've got so many images rolling through my head right now as you're talking and like even being down in Arkansas shooting gar and drum and like we float the Buffalo river all the time and I'll stand up on, we like to cliff jump. And so we'll be up on top of a cliff about to jump and you can see gar just like lining the bottom side by side, uh, facing up the current and, um, in thinking about it, how much of this are you doing basically just snorkel style where you hold your breath, go under and how much of it is like scuba full scuba equipment, tanks and, and everything. So, yeah, great question. You know, 
certainly you can do scuba and do all that. And a lot of people do like in Florida and even in, even in Wisconsin where I started Lake Michigan, we did some scuba there. You got to check the regs. Sometimes scuba is not allowed. It's only that snorkeling or free diving. Okay. Um, and so for me, and I, I, I was certified, gosh, I have to reach back uh, in 2000 or 99 uh, with scuba. And I haven't, I bet I haven't touched, I haven't touched a tank since, since, oh, wow. you know, I got, yeah, I got scuba certified and now I free dive and, and like with some practice and some um, instruction and you get a couple courses under your belt or you dive with some good guys in safe conditions, pretty soon you're a free diver to a hundred feet and a minute and a half underwater without, you know, like I, I'm getting old, man. Like I, I'm 40 now and my knees are shot and I'm like, I don't know, can't keep the weight off me anymore. Like I love to eat. And I, don't love to work out, but I can still dive and I can still do what I love because it's a technical sport. It's technique. Um, you don't need a ton of gear to start. You need a wetsuit, you need some fins and you need an inexpensive pole spear or Hawaiian sling, like you talked about, or there's some inexpensive guns. And, and the places to look for this are like the, the Cabela's or the Bass Pro of spearfishing, which are these um, online shops. One of them is called makospearguns.com. Uh, another one is Red Tide Spearfishing, uh, I believe also.com. Then there's Neptonics Worldwide. Then there's Spear America. So there's about four or five of these major, you know, retailers. Like I, I, they're akin to like Cabela's or Bass Pro or Gander Mountain uh, or Academy. They have kind of a plethora of, of equipment and gear for all abilities and all, you know, experience. And man, you can piece together some pretty good setups for inexpensive i got a lot of people in um the diving game with you know a few hundred bucks total investment yeah which hell i just bought fishing line the other day it was like 50 bucks for braid so <laughs> i it's almost like you know it's almost a value in, in some ways yeah i i mean we've got we've got a store here i bought um I, I bought a pole spear with a three prong on the front of it for frog gigging. We do a lot of frog gigging at the end of June, uh, through, through July. Um, but I bought that online. Absolutely love it. But we actually have a store here in Springfield. It's called dive ventures and they do like scuba certification and, uh, they've got indoor stuff that you can go in and, and learn on. They've got spear guns and slings and fins and everything. And so, like, like you were saying, finding somebody who is familiar with it, a buddy that you can go out with or that could teach you the ropes. I bet you there's a bunch of guys locally here that probably hang out in there or have gone there or, you know, they could get me connected. But yeah. um, it's always good to know where you can get where you can get the gear, you know, online. And I can only imagine I get excited no matter what I order online. If I've got something coming from Amazon, I'm pumped. Uh, if it's like hunting gear, it's a different level. If it was like spear fishing gear, I think it would be even, even more so. Yeah. hundred percent. And, and try it before you buy it. If you can get a buddy that's down, you know, like, like again, big Jake Lords, he, he works in Missouri. He lives in, in Utah and he flies to Missouri every couple of weeks. So he's in the Springfield area, like hit him up and, yeah. and find him and hit him up. And he'll, he has, you think i got a lot of gear you should see his garage it's 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 pretty funny and it's a it's one of those things that he's, he's happy to teach and everybody is i don't i don't know a snobby spiro that i've really met ever 
um, I gotta say. And people want you to have fun. People want you to be safe. They want you to try your try the gear before you buy it. I got I got ten masks. My wife's like, why do you have so many masks? I'm like, ah, other people can try them. Why are you buying gear for other people? I'm like, well, you're using three of my masks. My son's grabs one or two, and I gotta have a spare one or two. Like, pretty soon I only got a couple actual ones that I lend out, right? Yeah. So that's the how it is, man. The people are the people. It's a tight knit community. The people are all about it. Um, until you start getting into their secret fishing holes and that's a whole nother story <laughs> it, well it's a good thing that like i don't know if onyx works underwater but you know like <laughs> they can't necessarily just save a pin when they're down there um, so there's there is some ways we can do that there's navionics <laughs> which is the onyx of of the water oh nice. and so yeah there's some of that and and you bet um as you get higher level uh, into it you'll you'll see some specialized gear and, and the pricing gets astronomical at that point. But starting out, man, starting out, we all started out with that three prong pole spear, like you're talking about a, a nice yellow fiberglass one or a gold JBL one. And, you know, I shot perch with it in up to 17 inches in Lake Michigan. We used to pull out these perch. This is 20 something years ago before Lake Michigan got super clear from the zebra mussels. And the fishermen would go fish the break walls and they would sit there with their bobbers or their bottom jigs or whatever. And we would jump in, you know, down the way from them, but then we would start going through. And when we would come up with, uh, at the time, the limit was 25 perch per person. We would come out with a hundred perch with four guys, literally. And like the small ones were 12 inches. And these fishermen have been sitting there all day. They, they may have gotten maybe four or five. And we've come up with a hundred, they would lose their minds. So you got to be smart, right? Like, yeah, don't go right in front of the shore fishermen. They're going to start casting at you. And they did eventually, you know, we were not smart enough to figure that out. We were like, it's legal. Hey, leave us alone. And they're like, yeah, it's our spot though. And you're just out there shooting all these fish. You know, that was a good point. Yeah. Um, and, and since then you want to spread it out. You don't want to just pick apart one area. You, you know, you want to explore new lakes and new structure and, and find what works. And that little yellow full spirit killed more fish for me um and more fish for everyone else and then you start upgrading if you really are into it you'll upgrade and you'll get into it and it's a very welcoming sport i feel like this is gosh even in talking to my wife about me getting into this she is going to be more on board for this activity than anything else because she loves the beach she loves being near water she hates the cold which a lot of hunting adventures take you into the cold and so I think she's going to be like a hundred percent buy whatever you need, as long as I can be sitting on a beach or close to the water somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, we do that same thing, my wife and my son, and they're on the beach. And let's say we go to an exotic location, even better, right? Like Bahamas. I love going down to the Bahamas. We've got our spot kind of dialed in They're on the beach and I'll swim off the beach. And a place like the Bahamas has excellent shore diving. Um, you swim off the beach you, you know, you spear a few giants, let's say, or at least, at least enough for supper. You got to be careful, uh, you know, not to spear too much and ruin that spot for next time. Cause you can keep selectively harvesting your supper for as long as you keep going to a spot, you come on shore, you look like James Bond in that movie coming on shore, <laughs> you know, all, all decked out, you got your fish hanging off you. Maybe your wife could snap a few photos for Instagram or TikTok, And next thing you know, you're a legend. And your and your your kids think you're a genius. You're cooking up supper, and eating the best freshest fish you've ever had. That that you know you instantly can take care of it and and process it for the table. Man, I feel like you've already made an addict out of me, and I've yet to even get in the water with the spear. I'm 
I'm pumped, man. I can't wait to get out and try this now. Um, I, I look back and I'm like, man, I missed a lot of opportunities. I had uh, an aunt and uncle that bought a catamaran and they sailed to Belize and they lived in Belize. And they were like, dude, you should come hop on our catamaran with us and sail to Belize. And I'm like, yeah, that's the ocean. And I'm probably going to throw up the entire time. And I've never been on a boat and couldn't see shore. Um, but I, I look back and I'm like, dang, I really could have, if I could, if I would have gotten into this at that point, I would have been set, you know, Belize is kind of a diver's destination, um, for, for all sorts of diving. And then, yeah, just looking at where we go in Florida, we go, we go there a couple times a year. There's, a lot of opportunity and I'm pretty pumped to dive into it. Pun intended. Yeah. 100% good pun action there. Um, <laughs> that's exactly how you get started is you get some invites. Uh, if you got some blue clean water, like Belize, um, awesome diving for a reason, right? The visibility that that's the, the visibility is, or the viz is what everybody talks about is how far you can see underwater. So, the visibility in Belize or Bahamas is like a hundred feet. The visibility in Mexico is like 50 feet up to maybe 60. The visibility in, in Lake Powell, freshwater Lake in, in Arizona and Utah can be 40 feet. Pretty good vis. The visibility it can be down like in Lake Michigan can be 40, 30 feet, but it can also be really bad. Like you can have five foot vis, six foot vis. So it's important when you, when you first, start out to find a place that has really good viz because that helps build the stoke even more it's it's a bummer when you're can't see the bottom like you want to go into that experience like seeing fish like it's an aquarium and you're just just like being invited into their environment and you'll soon figure out it is exactly spot and stalk hunting um, in those environments but the fish can also see you so you got to use your structure you got to use your weeds you got to be quiet uh, you can't splash a bunch. And that's all technique that you can practice in the swimming pool. You're building stoke in training. You know, you, you, you get in the water and you practice your, your entry. You practice slipping in under the water with a, with a clean duck dive and not a ton of splashing and flailing. You, you practice all those techniques, you know, and anytime you're in any water and you kind of do it subconsciously and you, it becomes a, a good, healthy sport to get into um, in that regard. And you mentioned also seasickness uh you oh i'm gonna be seasick i never you know dude i get so seasick people are blown away when i tell them that they're like well, you're always out on the water you're always out on a boat yep man i have thrown up through my snorkel i've thrown up in the water you know while diving i've thrown up off the boat i have thrown up everywhere and i've learned to manage it i've learned how to there's natural uh stuff like ginger pills um these mq patches there's ways to manage it so if, even if you do get seasick but the fire's there, you'll manage your way through it. And now I've got it down, man. Like I'm, it's hard to get seasick for me now, but when I do, it's still there. Like it's part of it, I guess, but yeah, don't Luckily, let it, don't let it stop a good time. No, I I've never been, I just, that was kind of a thought going through my head. If I did try to sail to Belize with them, I was like, man, if I'm out there and I'm just throwing up for days on end, that wouldn't be very fun. But yeah, I've been out, I've been out, um, in the past now, like in the past couple of years, been out on the ocean, had that experience, big water, deep sea fishing, and never had any issue, thankfully. Um, I, I've always, I feel like I've always been pretty active. And then the other thing that I was most concerned with was the helicopter hog hunt I just did. And I was like, dude, I'm going to get, I could see myself getting sick with that, like flying around, 
looking down, trying to shoot, focus, and every like your whole world is just rocking and tipping and shifting sideways. But even with that, I feel like I did pretty good. Yeah, that's, you know, a, a lot of the trouble with seasickness that I've seen, and I've done the helicopter hunt several times uh, here in Texas, and I never have trouble with that because you can see the horizon. The problem with seasickness is your brain can't register that it's moving. You're on a ship that's moving, um, but your eyes don't see the movement because everything's moving together. So they've actually made some innovative glasses that kind of allow your brain to understand that we are moving. Hey, watch this bubble go left and right. That's because we're moving left and right. And you can't tell. That's why they always say stare at the horizon because the horizon is flat and, and your brain can register. Oh yeah, we are pitching and rolling. Yeah. Um, in a helicopter, you know, that helicopter pilot, until they start pulling like backflips on you and some real G's, it's a pretty smooth ride comparatively. And your brain can see you're moving. You can see you're chasing those, those animals around and that's a riot in itself. Yeah. What a, let's get into a couple maybe stories and obviously you're not going to be sharing specific spots, but where like destinations, if you could, if, if I said, man, you've got a week to go spearfish anywhere right now, what kind of places are you going? Yeah, absolutely. And it, it, it all depends on the, like the answer, the, everybody should give the answer that starts with it depends like, like I'm a lawyer or something, right? It depends what kind of fish I want to go after. It depends what kind of diving I want to do. It depends how far I want to travel. So if I got a week, like that's it, like five days, that's not enough time to fully travel and enjoy and explore some areas. So for me right now, if I had a week, I would hit up um, probably at, at the, the kind of diving I want to do would be maybe Bahamas, um, you know, and some, some pretty awesome reef fish and lobsters. You can, you know, spear lobsters in the Bahamas. Oh, um, yeah. So, you, you know, you can get sick of eating lobsters. People don't believe it, but I bring them and every week they're like, I'm going to eat all these lobsters every day. And I'm like, bet you don't. And they never do. <laughs> so, you know, lobsters, a lot of easy reef fish, really, really great viz. I love the Bahamas. Um, Mexico is great. We can fly down to Cancun. I'm sorry, Cabo San Lucas um, and be up to a, a really awesome resort destination that has diving for every level. Um, that's Palapas Ventana. And it's, a, it's a, a pretty easy in and out. They have 100% on-site guides and boats. Like it's, it's just like ready for you, you know? Um, another spot I was starting to mention is Cancun. A buddy of mine just did that. They go down to Cancun, they get an all-inclusive, and there's people that offer spearfishing in, again, really awesome viz. So, you know, it depends. Like if I had more than a week, I'd like to go at, at my level. I've speared, you know, I've speared 250 pound tuna. I've speared, you know, giant groupers. Um, you know, my biggest grouper is 60 pounds, uh, which is pretty big. They get bigger, but um, I've speared, you know, yellowtails and, and they all have, you know, it all has a special place in my heart, but each dive is very different. Hunting, hunting bluefin tuna in the open ocean, 80 miles offshore of San Diego um, is a lot different hunt than, than going and picking apart a reef in 30 foot of water in Bahamas. So it all yeah. depends what you want to do. Dang. What is it? Is it similar to bow hunting in the sense that you have to use different equipment depending on what you're going after or is the setup pretty much the same 
you know, if you're going from 200 pound tuna to, you know, something much smaller? Yeah, that, that's, you know, that's a great question. And, um, you, you know, short, short answer is, yeah, every, every fish you're hunting is, is gear situation specific. So for 250 pound tuna, there's no bottom. You're hunting generally in 3000 feet of water, 80 miles offshore. Okay. You would use in that situation, what we call a breakaway setup. So your, your spear gun shoots a spear and it's a giant spear gun. A tuna spear gun is, you know, maybe six feet long, five to six feet long, has five or six bands on it. And it shoots a piece, uh, it shoots a spear as thick as a piece of rebar. Like it's, it's a real big setup for real big fish. And then that spear, when you shoot, comes away from the gun and it's independent of the gun. So you maintain your hold on the, the gun and the spear then is, is tied to a float line. And generally in this case, it'd be a bungee float line. So the float line stretches, a bungee float line stretches two times, it's two to three times its initial length. So a hundred foot bungee will, will stretch to two to 300 feet. So that Dang. fish pulls against the bungee, which is attached to a big buoy. And so the fish tires itself out. Like there's no way me as a 200 pound diver can take on a 250 pound bluefin. Like he would drown me in an instant. Yeah. So we develop specific gear to handle those kind of fish. But, but in, in freshwater, uh, like I said, those perch and stuff, a three prong handheld spear will, will shoot a, shoot a perch. And he, he doesn't even hardly take line, you know, like he won't, he won't even fight you. Like you, you speared him. He's done. Or yeah. bluegills. Man, I've speared some great bluegills. Bluegill is one of my favorite fish to eat. Always, always enjoyed catching and eating them. Um, and spearing them is just as fun. You can get some big old bulls. You can pick out just these big bull bluegills and have a great fry. So the, the, the fishing tackle or gear, you know, for tuna fishing is different than the fishing tackle or gear you would use for bluegill fishing. Same can be said for spear fishing or bow hunting or whatever you're doing. You know, I don't use my, I don't use my 300 Weatherby when I go hunting black buck you know in argentina same same deal all right guys i need to take a quick second to tell you about a product that i've been using for quite a while now it's called bull elk beard oil if you've spent any amount of time in the outdoors whether it's on the mountain in the marsh or in the woods you've felt the effects of the wind the sun and the cold on your face what this product does it helps you look better feel more confident and it helps your beard keep its moisture not to mention, it smells great, so now my wife can't complain as much after I come home from a long week of elk hunting. Now I need to tell you, I've gotten to know Brian the founder over the past couple months, and he is an awesome guy. Brian made sure that all of these oils are made out of clean products right here in the USA. He also loves to give back to the outdoor community, whether that's through fundraisers for public land acquisitions, or even helping donate money to cover the surgery cost of duck dogs. He's an amazing guy, and he makes an amazing product. So go check out bullelkbeardoil.com and be sure to check out the subscription options so that you don't have to run out of your favorite facial hair product. Plus, you can use the code NOMADIC and get 20% off your order. In in watching videos and, you know, seeing social media stuff or YouTube videos of spear fishers, I see them down there and it's just like swarms and swarms of fish and i know that's probably not the case always but there's so many different species that you could be encountering at any moment i would imagine 
that it takes quite a while to, to be able to identify all these different fish and know which ones you can take, which ones you can't. Um, when you go out, are, are you doing like a mixed bag type of deal? Um, like, like the meat eater episode where they're coming up with, you know, several different types, or are you specifically going out for one type of fish that you want? Again, it depends, right? Like I can 100% target a single fish or a single species of fish, or we can do mixed bag. It all depends where we're going. So when we go to Bahamas or Mexico, you know, the, the, the species that are on the reef in Mexico you run into are a snapper, Kubera snapper, or, you know, um, in Bahamas it's a hogfish, this is a snapper or a, a mutton snapper, but there's also a grouper, you know, there, there's all different kinds of grouper, like 10 different species. Um, and then there's like your pelagic style fish that will cruise in, say your, your amber jacks or your, your yellow jacks and, you know, African pompano will come cruise the reef. So sometimes you just go out like, like in Bahamas or, or like in Mexico and you're just cruising the reef and just kind of seeing what's going to show up and, and being open to taking several different species, given the circumstance or given what you're trying to eat or, or whatever. And it's it's totally a mixed bag. But then you go, when you go bluefin hunting, you're only going for bluefin. You know, you're out all day, 12, 14. I think the last bluefin trip I did with uh, a charter company out of San Diego was 17 hours long in my wetsuit, just waiting for that opportunity to present. And, you know, we did it, pulled it off, but it was a long day of going after one fish. Dang, that's crazy. I, and I mean, it. that's where it seems more like hunting, you know, than fishing where it's like, you're targeting one specific thing. You, you go out there and, you know, as a bow hunter, I fully understand putting 17 plus hours into chasing after one specific animal. Um, man, that just yeah. that seems cool. hundred percent. And that's where I got started was, was really bow hunting. You know, I grew up on the border there of Illinois and Wisconsin and we you know, we couldn't rifle hunt that, those counties. We had to only bow hunt basically. And, and I was fortunate that my parents lived in like kind of farm country and I was um, able to get on some land just right out my, right out my back door. And I, I was self-taught, even though my, my grandfather was a big hunter. Um, by the time I, I came up in age to be able to hunt, he was declining in health and wasn't able to go out and he never did bow hunt. So we, we never did the big up North stuff. We just started bow hunting and I started bow hunting, you know, at 12 self-taught and I brought home my first gray squirrel with a bow. And I was so proud of myself, you know, like that was, that was, I did it. And, uh, man, I love eating squirrel. Nothing wrong with eating a good squirrel, oh, especially yeah. a corn, corn fed and to kill one with a, with a bow after you've been practicing all summer and, and all this stuff, like. Yeah, man, I was stoked. And, and yeah, I ruined the broadhead. Yeah, I mean, we didn't have a lot of money. My dad maybe said, hey, you know, maybe save your arrows. But it only took me one arrow to get my first squirrel kill. So I, I get it. I get it. Like I was out bow hunting deer, but a squirrel presented a good opportunity. So I took it. Like that's the same thing that you can do in some of these spear trips is, hey, you, you want to ideally shoot a Kubera snapper, which is kind of elusive, shy fish. And you're cruising the reef looking for one, but he he doesn't present. But hey, here's a big dumb hogfish, and uh, man, they're pretty fish. They look they look uh, awesome underwater and above water, and man, they're so good eating. I'm gonna take that one for dinner, I think. Man, 
Yeah, that's that's the most interesting grocery shopping experience I've ever I've ever heard. Just going out and like, oh, that one looks good for dinner tonight. Yeah, absolutely. And and you get to learning. Like I I've got books on the fish for this so certain areas we're going. You know, reef fish of the Caribbean, reef fish of the Pacific, and you you do learn the individual um, fish and their habits or whatever. That's part of the fun. That's part of the the sport. You know, like anything, you you get into it. And you want to learn everything about it. You want to learn what you can legally take and, and the limits on those and learn their habits and learn their, their structure and, and learn all that. And, that. and that keeps the stoke going, even when you're stuck at home and it's snowing outside or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be cool to have another, another hobby like that. Cause you know, fishing I've, I've fished all my life. It's never been like the number one hunting in like, going after animals i feel like has always been a bigger passion of mine but to have something like this where you can go year round and you know it sounds like all over the country freshwater or saltwater there's opportunities obviously the regulations and the the laws around it might change but that's how it is with any type of hunting that's right and, and we got a, like a little saying you know um if the fish aren't biting you know, you're going out and you're, and you're, you're fishing with hook and line. If the fish aren't biting, then feed them steel. And, and that's when you put on the mask and the fins and you jump in and lo and behold, you've been fishing this spot for an hour and nothing's biting, but lo and behold, there's all the target species that you're after right under the boat. And I have learned so much about fish and fish behavior. And I've learned to become a better fisherman from what I've seen in the water. And my dad early on, he, he couldn't believe it. He, I, I jumped into a spot. He's been fishing there. And he go, and I said, dad, there's that big bass is right underneath your boat. And he's like, you know, no, no, they're not. Come on. I mean, my dad's been fishing. My dad's been fishing for 50 years at this point. Like he's a good fisherman, you know? And I'm like, dad, I'm telling you right now, he's under the boat. Come on. I said, dad, he goes, fine, bring him up. So I dove down about 18 feet of water and plugged this big old small mouth and brought him up. See, here you go. And, and he couldn't believe it. You know, it was about a five pound smallmouth. At the time, I didn't even realize it was a, it was a record. Um, and, uh, you know, there's, we have like Boone and Crockett for, for rifle hunting or Pope and Young for bow hunting. We have IUSA, International Underwater Fear Vision Association records. At the time, I didn't realize I just plugged the world record smallmouth. But hey, I was going to eat it. And it was legal. So I did. And I taught my dad a little lesson. Hey, yeah. man they're just not biting right now they're just the fish are here change your bait wait for the right time whatever it is like like they're here and the fish bass especially behavior is so curious like you dive down and they're like all up in your mask like they're right in your face and you're like get, get out of the way get out of the way i want to see past the bass and try to see a walleye coming in and a walleye a little more elusive they they slink in they're curious but they're not bass curious you know and that's freshwater it's got a wide variety of, of fish that you can target legally. Um, they're all tasty in their own way. I call uh, smallmouth bass freshwater snapper, and I call walleye uh, freshwater grouper. And, and they and they really, you know, are good eating fish. And and pike too, man. Pike is pike is a really good eating fish. They're they're a, a, a member, the same member of the as the walleye and the perch family. They're in the pickerel family. Um, you know, you, you spear underwater, you gut them and gill them right away and bleed them underwater with your dive knife and you put them on your stringer, put them on ice 
and it is some of the tastiest meat you've ever eaten. And people are always, oh, they're so slimy and oh, they're so like this. Well, when you're underwater, you don't notice slime. You don't notice that, you know, if yeah. you, you're, you're in their environment and man, that is some good meat right there. Man, that is so, I mean, you're speaking my language. I, I did all of that type of fishing, walleye and pike and perch and, and crappie and musky. Like that was all stuff that I did uh, growing up, but to actually be in their environment and be down there seeing all the animals, seeing them, you know, interacting in the behavior that they have, not just when you're pulling them up out of the water, um, but actually seeing them like living down there. That'd be crazy. And it makes sense. Even with, with any type of animal, the faster you can bleed them, the faster you can, um, you know, keep, keep the muscles from tightening up or that, that adrenaline rushing through them, it's going to taste better. The meat's going to be better. And so to actually do that right there in the moment underwater, it makes sense that the, it would be much more flavorful meat. Yeah, that's right. And, and, you know, spearfishing is, unique in that when you when you shoot the fish unlike with a bow or, or with a rifle you shoot them the animal runs off and expires before you get up to them right spear fishing they they don't always expire immediately when you shoot you, you know you hit them in a, a a meat like holding shot and they're not they're not dead you pull them in you pull out your dive knife and you and you brain them or you ikegemium and and that's literally dispatching them with a with a, a sharp spike or knife to the brain um and even then they've been brained um they're still hard is still bleeding a little bit and then you can cut their gills um and and let the blood pump out with the, the last beats of the heart um and it makes the meat so much better um people you know keep their fish in alive well uh, when they're fishing and they drive around and the fish is alive and you know, it stays fresh that way, maybe, or you've just marinated your fish until they've died in their own stressful environment. And the adrenaline is just, you know, could you imagine being locked up in a sloshing box of water for an hour while you go fish the rest of the day? It doesn't seem like a good way to treat your food. Right. Yeah. So, you know, shoot them, brain them, bleed them, gut them, put them on your stringer, get back to the boat or your shore, whatever, put them on ice right away. Carry a cooler, just dedicated cooler. We all have those old igloo coolers laying around now that we've all gone into the roto molded coolers. You know, I'm not going to mention any names, but a great freshwater sponsor is uh, bison coolers or pelican coolers. Um, and you got that sitting there with ice, bam, fish on ice. That meat is going to be firm, delicious. Just take care of it. And um, you're going to find your quality of meat's going way up. Man, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a good time. I'm going to start looking at local opportunities here, how I can get into the sport here. And then obviously the trips are going to come down the road and you uh, got better. You got so much better local opportunities that I do, man. Like I'm jealous of you, right? Like, like where you live in Missouri has some awesome freshwater spearfishing, like half hour away. You know, I, I got to go pretty far to find good viz and to find you know, the species I want, like, I mean, like I lived in Colorado for 17 years, like we're as far from the ocean as you can probably get in the United States. Right. Yeah. And besides maybe North Dakota, which, you know, there's still good spearfishing in North Dakota. It's just got to find it. And Colorado's laws are messed up. We were only, only allowed to shoot uh, carp and pike and they wanted the pike gone because somebody in, in 
um, introduced them. Um, so they would be kind of like this invasive non-native. And so they would eat all the trout uh, that they would stock because trout's the main fish, right? That people yeah. are going after to Colorado. They want to fly fish. They want to do all this. Well, now we got pike just gobbling them up. And a case in point of that is I went on a dive last year in the fall. I actually went on this combo, this combo hunt, man. I was so st- stoked I could put it together. I did a, a high mountain buck hunt. So, um, you know, Colorado, you put in for the draw. It's an early season rifle hunt that's in September. And it has to be above, like, it has to be in the wilderness areas or above tree line in certain areas. So it's this high mountain buck hunt. It's it's super cool hunt. And I, I killed a deer at like 12,500 feet. Jeez. Shot him. Yeah, it was awesome. I scouted all summer, had my son with me. I mean, we backpacked and I had to backpack. He's only three at the time. So I had to put him on my backpack and then backpack out, scout deer. And and carry him and all my year. It was it was a lot, but it it was hopefully he'll remember it, which he won't. But hey, it's being a dad. And um, got a really nice buck on the third day. Shot him on a, on a Monday, and had the whole week scheduled for this hunt. And I knew the area had a pretty good uh, population of pike in in this one reservoir. So I brought all my spearing gear, right? And so I. I Got my buck packed out. I had a buddy come in. Um, actually, because I where I was at, I was able to. Uh, I didn't have cell phone. I had a Zolio, like one of those GPS or satellite communicator devices, yeah. you know. So I used my Zolio to, uh, you know, hit up my buddy, and I was like, "Hey, I got I got this deer killer. Would you help me pack it out?" And he drove all the way around, like three and a half hours, to come help me pack it out, which was the best thing ever because I yeah. was, was pretty smoked from going up and down this mountain pass you know, for three days and then carried, carried one load out. I couldn't imagine doing two more loads. It would have taken me three days to get it out. And he came and we, we managed to do it. So got that hunt done, you know, bam, done Monday, packed up my whole, my whole uh, tent and all my, my hunt camp and drove down to the reservoir, reset up camp. And now I went switched gears from a spot and stock high mountain buck hunt to a spot and stock um high lake uh pike hunt and ended up it was kind of murky water you know the time of the year was a little off the lake trout were spawning i ended up in the middle of this awesome lake trout spawn there was there was like 30 pounders just everywhere all around me and paying me no mind i was in five feet of water snorkeling and they were just up a river channel just spawning and um that attracted the you know smaller trout that are trying to eat the eggs that attracted then the big pike that are eating the trout that are eating the eggs. So it was like this little ecosystem, right? But the water, um, the viz wasn't super great and it was pretty weedy, but I managed to, uh, I managed to sneak up on, uh, slowly sneak up on from the surface and shoot a 22 pound pike. So, yeah. So I spiked this 22 pound pike and, and pulled him in and after a bit of a fight and, and did my whole deal on him. Um, you know, braining him, bleeding his, his uh, gills. And then after that, I gut him. And as I'm gutting him, dude, I'm not kidding you. Uh, six, 12 to 14 inch trout came out of his belly. They, that sucker had been gorging on these trout. So y- you can see why Colorado stocks, you know, five inch fish. And it takes them a year to grow to 12 inch fish. And at 12 inch, they're catchable for anglers 
who are spending the big bucks to go on these, you know, fly fishing trips. And here's this freshwater shark, this freshwater barracuda, just gobbling them up. Oh my gosh. And so, you know, again, I, I spiked them, uh, got them on ice and, um, you know, had a great trip. My wife and son ended up coming out a couple of days later to spend the weekend, uh, finishing up. We just fished and I dove a few more times and, and we just had a family trip out of it. Um, brought it home had, and packaged the deer up, packaged up the, the pike. And we just had some pike the other day. And my son, my son just thought it was the best. You know, I fried it up. He, he was like, what is dad, what is this fish? And I said, uh, I said, it's pike. And he's like, what, what's pike and i'm like dude it's like freshwater marlin oh this is the best so everything's like when can we have more freshwater marlin you know he's he's four he thinks marlins are great or or finding nemo i guess i don't know yeah (laughs) that's so awesome um have you have you looked into uh sturgeon spearing at all i mean growing up in wisconsin i see like the big above the ice stuff but i didn't know like there, there's people who are going after, you know, the 300-pound sturgeons that they say live in the lake and nobody's ever got one that size. Um, but I'd imagine you could kind of go clean house on them if you were actually diving for them. You, you know, possibly the thing is the, the, the lakes are going to be the clearest in winter when there's no boat traffic, no wind action to make waves. So everything settles. That's why those guys, and, and that's really the only way to do it. They cut up those big holes in the ice. They set their shanty up and put a decoy down and they sit and wait. It's tree stand hunting for sturgeon. Also, it's heavily regulated in Wisconsin, right? You got a permit, you only, you got to call in your fish. Um, And the other thing to consider is those fish. And just like the pike I shot, those bigger fish are so old. Um, Those sturgeons can be like, I'm going to be wrong, but they can be like 50 years old. That pike, that 22 pound pike I shot, was there's a couple age charts that show you the age versus the length. Uh, so that 22 pound pike was probably 19, 18 years old. So it takes a long time to grow fish that big. So you got to be respectful and you got to be smart about it. You don't, you can literally shoot out the genetics or literally shoot out the big breeders. Cause those, those big fish are generally females and they're generally the big breeders that put out all those eggs. So you want to be smart about it. That was only the third pike that size i speared and i speared each of those big pikes in a different lake and i haven't been back to those lakes since however i do spear the smaller ones without with reckless abandon because they are just as aggressive those pike yeah but to your point about the sturgeon you know maybe in the summer if you were snorkeling around if if the if the um if the season were open you had a tag you know maybe maybe you could i feel like the biz would be pretty bad i feel like in wisconsin you got too many drunks on pontoon boats uh, driving around, uh, not aware of you, and and they'll chop you up. And that's a real concern. You know, I, I we 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 do put out our flag, our diver down flag. It's a it's a red flag with a white diagonal stripe through it is the most prevalent one. There's another one. It's a, a white and blue flag. It's more the international one. But I mean, here you are in the lake in Wisconsin. Um, do you, do you think anybody in a pontoon boat cares or knows about a, a 12 inch flag on the water? They might think it's something they can, you know, go fish and they're going to drive over and think it's a buoy to marks a good spot. Who knows? And chop you up. Dang. So you want to be aware. I mean, you can be all, Hey, you can be, a, you can be all in, in your legal rights to do something, but you got to be smart about it. So I, I try to, 
on busy lakes, I stick to the shore. I try to not get, you know, I put my, I park my boat in such a way that it, it causes other boaters to drive around me and give me more wide berth. And I try not to get outside of that. Like I can be hundred percent legally right, but I can also be hundred percent dead at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, let, let's jump into a couple different other types of hunting. Cause you've referenced a bunch of different hunts. I mean, you're kind of a lifelong outdoorsman. You you've done the float out moose hunt. Uh, I see uh, a big mountain lion on your wall behind you. And, um, in fact, this is a good time to bring up little, little elk there too. If oh, you want to, if you want to, if you want to see all this stuff, I, I don't have it all up, you know, but it is what it is. Yeah. The, the video that I was sent from Joel was you in a Santa outfit and you were in the kitchen, uh, cooking. And he's like, dude, Christmas day dresses as Santa <laughs> for a mountain lion hunt. <laughs> so yeah, that's, I, I, I've been pretty fortunate to, you know, have a group of friends that are just as passionate about their sports as me. And, uh, a, a couple of, of buddies have really gotten into the hound, um, hunting, you know, one, one of our friends lives in Michigan, Northern lower peninsula, Michigan, up by like Traverse city. And they hunt bobcats and, and coyotes and bears there. Um, so I got to be on involved in some of these hunts. Well, in Colorado, where I live, there's, you know, a mountain lion quota system. People get tags over the counter and, you, you know, with a, with a little test that you can identify males from females, um, you're legally allowed to go now hunt mountain lions. But really the only way that's consistent to hunt mountain lions is, is that hound hunting. So it's kind of, it was kind of a, a fun party, festive atmosphere, and it became sort of a routine. We would, um, we would get up early. The guys would, the women and children's always sleeping in on Christmas day, right? For a while, but we get up early, usually around two, two 30 in the morning, get, get your thermos of coffee and start driving the roads or, or snowmobiling, even some, some land you have access to and look for tracks. So, you know, about five or six of us would get out and do it. And it grew to like 20 of us and, and Christmas became a big kind of a fun, fun event. So the guys would get up early drive around, find some tracks, get back to cell phone service. Hey, I got a track. Hey, I got a track. Okay. I got a track here. I got a track there. Okay, cool. Let's go home. Let's open the presents with the kids and let's get after it. And we would go home because the tracks aren't going to go anywhere where the tracks going to go They're yeah. in the snow, um, go home and, um, cook breakfast and maybe open presents, maybe get the kids, you know, the young kids started to come after Christmas. They got to be about five or six and then they started to go on a lion hunt with dad. Yeah. Um, and it just, it just morphed into this thing where every Christmas I would wear a Santa suit and I'd have a Santa suit and my boots and my gaiters and I have a big, big bushy gray, white beard now, um, and a 45 strapped to my Santa <laughs> outfit and go out and and the video in that video was we found a track it was christmas day uh, my buddy my best friend from high school who's my wife's cousin uh was in town with his younger cousin and we found a lion track on on our property and we were we were in line to have a great hunt and i was just you know making eggs cooking in my santa suit just getting pumped up we had some music going in the background and just having fun and, and the vibe was, was there and somebody recorded me from behind. I don't even know he did it and, <laughs> and went out and had a great day, but yeah, I mean the, the Santa suit's real. We, I climb a tree, I climb a tree with them sometimes and slap them out of the tree, get the, 
get the lions out. You pull the pull the dogs back if you're not going to kill them. Yeah. And and get that lion out of the tree. They try to throw snowballs at them, but you know the real way to get them on the tree is to climb the tree with the with the lion in your Santa suit, and then the lions <laughs> the lions coming out or you're coming out, but generally the lion comes out first. <laughs> gosh man i i just feel like it's probably a party hunting with you or fishing with you anytime <laughs> and and you know we're just there to have fun man like it's 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 what it's about like yeah it's a conservation game yeah it's catch cook and eat but it's it's fun if it's not fun you're not going to want to do it again and i'll tell you what though one time we did uh some karen i want to say saw us walking down a public road after the the hunt i don't we didn't even kill a lion it was christmas day we'd treat them and let them let them run and let them go and i'm walking down the street uh back to the truck in my santa suit with my 45 and some karen saw me uh and called the cops so like the cops showed up like a half hour later at the truck loading dogs loading stuff and the cops were like uh yeah we got a report of a drunk uh santa uh with a gun and i'm like man i'm santa and i got a gun but i ain't drunk like we're not drinking like whatever <laughs> and the guy just laughed the cops were like this is hilarious you know it's, it's rural colorado you know like get over yourself yeah but yeah man it's it's become it's become part of the thing to uh just just have a fun christmas get together like i said we've had up to 20 people on these hunts now and shot several good lions on christmas day it's just like a present to the adults man that's that's so cool what a what a fun tradition i I've had my share of run-ins with Karens in the past. I, uh, the, the best one was I was a homeless guy with a bomb strapped to my chest because what I was doing, my buddy drew a mountain goat tag. Uh, I was back in Missouri at this point, but I was going to go back out and help him hunt mountain goats in Colorado. And I, I would throw weight in my backpack. Cause I'm like, dude, I'm back at low elevation. I'm not going to do well being up at, you know, 12, 13,000 feet chasing after these goats. So I'd put weight in my backpack. I had my bino harness on because the country roads that I would walk, there's deer all over the place. And, you know, I always like looking at white tailed deer and my bino harness up front apparently was a bomb. And this lady was so concerned because there's a homeless camp about 15 miles south of where I lived in the country. And uh, they got dispersed. They were told, like, they can't camp there. It's on private property, whatever. And so she thought I was one of the homeless people that had moved up farther or closer to her house. And the, the kicker is I heard someone yell at me while I was walking. And I, I didn't even realize it. Like, I had my AirPods in. I'm walking and I hear, I, I thought I heard someone say, Hey, where are you going? And I like stopped in the road and I'm looking around. I don't see anybody. And so then I just finished my walk. This is only like two driveways down, you know, maybe a quarter mile from where I live. And then later on, I get a call from this guy whose property we rented. And he's like, Hey, were you, were you doing your hike today? And I was like, yeah, I was. And he's like, Oh, the neighbor called the cops on you. I go, what? He's like, yeah, uh, she called me. She was concerned because you were headed towards my place. And she said she had called and reported a homeless guy with a bomb strapped to his chest. And I'm like, oh, dude, it's a good thing. Like, I would have been so confused if I'm walking down the driveway. Like, I mean, it's a long gravel driveway through the woods. All of a sudden, cops show up, guns drawn, and I turn around just like, what is going on? Dude, it's it's bonkers, man. Like, 
uh, a buddy of mine, same thing, was was training shooting long range. And we have a range at my house in Colorado. I had 35 acres there that we could put a 500 yard range on. But he was a really good shooter, and he backed backed out and sh- was shooting from public from BLM um, out to 1,400 yards. And he was shooting from, you know, which is legal in Colorado to shoot from public over my house into private. Yeah. And it was, I mean, like the trajectory of the bullet was 35, 40 feet above the house. Nobody was home. It wasn't like there was any danger. Um, And it wasn't like directly over the house, but there was no danger. The guy's just shooting, doing the legal activity on private land. And a lady that was trespassing on my land was walking when he didn't know, unbeknownst to him, called in that she was being shot at. The cops pulled him over. Cops pulled in and held him at gunpoint, you know, like active shooter style. So we've gotten into a weird time in our history. You know, we used to be very connected to the land. We used to we used to all hunt and fish and 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 farm. We knew where our food came from. And and now we, we've become so disconnected uh, that I, I was on a cruise once with my wife in in, in um, uh, C- California doing like one of those carnival cruises or whatever cheap deal, and uh, this this gal that we were you know eating dinner with at the they put you together at formal dinner to kind of meet people. She was a school teacher in L.A. and she was like, "Oh my God, you hunt!" And my wife does too, and and we were like, "Yeah, you know, no big deal, just innocent, you know." activity oh yeah. my god what how could you do that what why and i was like why well, you know we like to eat it it's good meat it's it's healthy it's all these reasons and she goes why don't you just buy your meat at the grocery store like everybody else and i'm like well yeah we could she's like yeah like then you're not harming animals and i'm going holy crap you literally think the supermarkets produce meat i'm like no that's a cow or yeah. that's a poor that's a pig so we, we've become so detached and and whatever we can do to get people into activities, to get them back, like rooted with their food that they, that they, 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 that they eat is important, I think. Yeah. And I feel like, uh, I was actually talking with a guy on the podcast yesterday about that same thing. I feel like there is a genuine curiosity from a lot of like college age people nowadays where they do want that connection to everything. You know, like they want to be more connected to the brand of shirt that they wear. That's a good cause. They want to, you know, know the the owners of the coffee shop that they go to every day. And I have had a lot of people that from appearance and from previous conversation with them, I would never think would be interested in hunting. And they're like, dude, I'm sick of, you know, the factory farms and having no idea. Like when I buy a chicken nugget, there's like 14 different chickens that make up that one chicken nugget. And I'm like, man, it's kind of cool to see. Obviously there's plenty of people who are swinging way far the other way also, but it seems like there's good opportunity to get new people involved in, in going out and getting your own food. Yeah, Totally. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a side benefit in my opinion. You know, the, the first is getting outside and moving like obesity is a real problem in America. Getting outside and swimming, getting outside and hiking, getting outside and moving. Step one. Yep. Uh, step two, the enjoyment. Like I told my wife, she she grew up in like the west side of Chicago, and her biggest hunt was going to Nordstrom's with her mother and hunting out the best sale on on Chicago's Michigan Avenue. That was hunting for her. And when we first got together, I was like, "Look, this is what I do. This is me. You're never going to change this. 
Um, if, if you can't, if that's not okay with you, then cool. Like let's part ways. But she acquiesced and came and came along. And, and one day I was like, Hey, you want to just come out with me in the morning? Like, check it out. You're going to have a beautiful sunrise. It's cold, but we're going to, who knows what we're going to see. That's the best part. And that's it. You start out with having good exercise, a great experience outdoors, seeing a sunrise you've maybe never seen before. And from there you progress into to shooting an animal and hopefully it's a small one because the kids that shoot these big animals right away, man, they get burned out and they're done so fast. Like it's a, it's a journey. It's not a destination. Yeah. And, and I've, I started young. I was self-taught. It took me a while to build success. Like I said, I, I finally got a Pope and young buck and, and a couple of buddies and I were sitting around deer camp and, and uh, maybe drinking a few beers because we were in college and had the wood fire going. And it was like, man, what are we going to do? What are we going to do to, to signify this moment, this comeuppance? You know, it's been 10 years of solo hunting by ourselves. And we finally on public land killed my own buck with a bow and it, it qualified. And I was like, let's take this muzzy snuffer broadhead, let's put it in the, in the woods though, right down in the coals and let's put it out and let's just brand ourselves on the arm. And so, uh, because I was in college, I was a smart kid, and, and uh, I decided the first thing we needed to do was was get some wild turkey out that we'd shot, not not the drink wild turkey, but actual oh. breast of turkey that we'd shot earlier, uh, and and branded branded the turkey breast like as a test run to see how long. And <laughs> man, man, I'm glad we did that because the first time we put it on the turkey, it stuck. And, you know, it like cooled off and stuck and pulled. Oh, it would have been a bloody mess. So we figured it out. Kids, if you're at home and you're going to brand yourself, about three seconds is all you want. Okay? Don't push too hard. Just let it sear the skin nicely. It's a, it's a man, it's a thing I did. Hey, do you still have the brand? Did it, did it stick? Oh, yeah, no, or... it, doesn't, it doesn't go away. I could show you it. I could show you it. It's right here. Can you oh, see nice. I... Yeah, pretty good. We have brand yeah that that turned out well. We branded my buddy Brad in the middle of Arkansas, and there it was not with a good clean metal. It was with a rusty coat hanger that we'd found, or something that resembled a rusty coat hanger. And he wanted a mountain range on his shoulder blade, and so we uh, I, yeah. I bent it into a V, and I was going to do three mountains. Well, that metal cooled off really quick, so then I had to heat it up again. And I did it three times. He didn't know I had done it three times. He thought it was all in one one go. And I mean, he is losing his mind at this point. But there was no significant moment. It was just because we found a piece of metal and someone said, dude, we should brand someone. And within two minutes, he was laying shirtless on a cot with yeah. two buddies holding him down. Yeah, when you're younger, you know, you think these are good ideas. But hey, uh, now when the kids all ask me, you know, hey, Uncle Brett, what's that? I just tell them, oh, it's a birthmark. Oh, Because, nice. you know, it kind of was. It kind of was a birthmark in my, my hunting uh, journey and, and propelled me further, you know, down the road. And, and so, I, I don't know. Um, it is what it is. Uh, I did it. There it is. <laughs> well, Brett, it's been awesome. It's been awesome talking. I don't want to get off the call, but I do have, um, I've got about an hour and a half left to turkey hunt today, and I'm going to go try to kill one. Um, middle of the day yesterday, we hardly saw anything. And so I'm hoping that today with the warmer weather, they're out and I can put a stock on one. Um, before we hop off though, I want to give you a chance to share with the listeners where they can find you, where they can follow along 
and how they can get connected with freshwater spearfishing. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for that opportunity. So I, I just started social media last year. I got on Instagram. Um, so it's my name. Uh, it's at the real Brett label. Um, that's how you can find me on, on social media, or like I'd mentioned, uh, national freshwater spearfishing association and you know how Instagram algorithm works. Once you get there, it takes you further and further down that rabbit hole and comment, reach out DM to me or anyone. Um, it doesn't matter. Uh, people are really open and accepting. I, I think it's a, it's a great sport, um, for people to learn for lots and lots of reasons. Uh, it's also, you know, just another way to expand your, if you like to hunt and you like to fish, you're going to love the spearfish. So you expand your repertoire. And then when you go to parties, people are like, how, how long can you hold your breath? And then you can play that game. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. That's a good party trick. I mean, maybe not after a, a bunch of drinks, but, uh, <laughs> the, the blackout might come a little bit faster. Um, yeah, sit down, sit down when you do it, maybe a couch or something and then, uh, and, and have a go. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I do really appreciate it and I'm going to stay connected and hopefully I'll be sending you some pictures soon because I, I'm getting into it. Like I'm, I'm hooked after this conversation and I think a lot of people are going to realize the opportunities they have close by, uh, to get out and experience spearfishing. Absolutely. Get it done, man. Hope, hope it takes you far. I appreciate it. And that is going to wrap it up for today's show. What did I tell you? I mean, you can't you can't listen to an episode like this and not want to get out and try something new. I mean, this guy has done a little bit of everything from like first discovering spearfishing or like doing it back in Wisconsin, just going and shooting perch right underneath other fishermen as they're trying to catch the same perch. Uh, and then to go and look at his social media pages where you can actually see the types of animals that he's getting, not only him, but other spear fishermen and women. Like, you actually have your pick of some of the biggest ones in the lake, in the river, in the ocean that you're in because you can see them. You're not just hoping that one hits or bites. And so I'm, I'm ready to go. I want to do this so bad. I'm going to hopefully get down to Texas, connect with Brett, and try to get out and do this for my first time. I mean, we've done, we've done like fake spear fishing, if you will, like real cheap goggles. We might've had a frog gig. Uh, we've, we've been underwater with fishing, like rod and reel, trying to catch fish, uh, while we're watching them trying or like completely ignore our bait. But all that to say, they, they did end up holding the Nationals there um, in Lake Powell. Awesome pictures, awesome stories that came from that. And so definitely go check that out and uh, just follow up to see kind of how everything went in Lake Powell, man. There, I'm slowly learning about the different lakes now. Uh, ever since we recorded this episode, I've been trying to do some more research, figure out what places near me would be great for this activity and surprisingly there's a ton like in in missouri or in the center of the u.s there's actually a lot fairly close to here that i could go and experience if i if i truly dive into spearfishing so hopefully as you guys hear these episodes as you hear the different guests on it encourages you it inspires you to get out and try new things to kind of step outside your comfort zone maybe to be a little no more a little bit more nomadic in your pursuits of the game that you're chasing and so 
I'm pumped. I hope you guys are too. Brett's an awesome dude. Looking forward to connecting with him. And until next time, always choose adventure and God bless. <laughs>